Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries of First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org. I'm Pastor Michelle Morris here, and it is a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our story or our series back to the basics. Where we're looking at some key ideas around United Methodism. And to frame that, we're using the letter of James, and we will be in chapter 2 today. And um, I think your bulletin says 2, 1 to 7. It's actually 2, 1 to 17, except really I'm going to go to 18. So feel free to pull out your Bibles and look or listen now as you hear the word of the Lord. My brothers and sisters, when you show favoritism, you deny the faithfulness of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has been resurrected in glory. Imagine two people coming into your meeting. One has a gold ring and fine clothes, while the other is poor, dressed in filthy rags. Then suppose that you were to take special notice of the one wearing fine clothes, saying, Here's an excellent place, sit here. But to the poor person you say, Stand over there, or here, sit at my feet. Wouldn't you have shown favoritism among yourselves and become evil-minded judges? My dear brothers and sisters, listen! Hasn't God chosen those who are poor by worldly standards to be rich in terms of faith? Hasn't God chosen the poor as heirs of the kingdom he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Don't the wealthy make life difficult for you? Aren't they the ones who drag you into court? Aren't they the ones who insult the good name spoken over you at your baptism? You do well when you really fulfill the royal law found in scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. But when you show favoritism, you're committing a sin, and by that same law, you're exposed as a lawbreaker. Anyone who tries to keep all of the law but fails at one point is guilty of failing to keep all of it. The one who said, don't commit adultery, also said, don't commit murder. So if you don't commit adultery but do commit murder, you're a lawbreaker. In every way, then, speak and act as people who will be judged by the law of freedom. There will be no mercy in judgment for anyone who hasn't shown mercy. Mercy overrules judgment. My brothers and sisters, what good is it if people say they have faith but do nothing to show it? Claiming to have faith can't save anyone, can it? Imagine a brother or sister who is naked and never has enough food to eat. What if one of you said, go in peace, stay warm, have a nice meal? What good is it if you don't actually give them what their body needs? In the same way, faith is dead when it doesn't result in faithful activity. Someone might claim, you have faith and I have action. But how can I see your faith apart from your actions? Instead, I'll show you my faith by putting it into practice in faithful action. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So maybe you've had one of those days at work where something's happened and it's just infuriated you. It's made you so mad it feels like it's the straw that broke the camel's back. And sometimes when that happens, we sit down at our computer and we start firing off that email, right? You start typing it. You start out with the thing that made you mad. But then you you think of all the things that have made you mad, right? And you start adding those in, and you now have this manifesto of an email before you. And most of the time, we delete that email, right? 
We just needed the therapeutic reality of getting it out. But what if you sent it? And what if you sent it not just to your boss, but sent it to the whole company? What might happen then? Well, you might lose your job. <laughs> but maybe, maybe that email would catch fire with other people who had equal frustrations. And maybe they'd find you. And maybe you'd start a new company. And maybe you'd challenge the way things had been and do something new in the midst of that. This could be the plot of Jerry Maguire, that movie that came out, gosh, it's been 20 or 30 years ago now. Or it could be a way of telling the story of what happened when Martin Luther, himself a Catholic priest, got so frustrated with Catholicism that he wrote out 95 points that he disagreed with the Catholic Church on. He wrote that out, and then he took it, and he nailed it, to the cathedral in Wittenberg. And when he did that action and brought those grievances before his church, he did lose his job. But he also started the Protestant movement. Protestant comes out of that word of protest. And there were a number of things that Martin Luther was, was frustrated with, but one of the things that he was frustrated with and one of the things that, that really stirred within his soul is he just could not figure out how he could do enough works that would result in his salvation. And he felt that the Catholic Church was overemphasizing works. When, in fact, he had read the book of Romans and, and come across these words in 117. God's righteousness is being revealed in the gospel from faithfulness for faith. As it is written, the righteous person will live by faith. And so Luther comes up with what's called a doctrine of sola fide, which is faith alone. That all that is required for salvation is faith in Jesus Christ. That's all that is necessary for us. Well, the Catholic Church came back and said, but, but no, you have to do good things. It's part of who we are. And what happened in the midst of that time of struggle and turmoil is that there sort of became these two extreme positions. Luther pushing all the way over to, no, you just need faith, to the Catholic Church pushing over here and saying, no, but works are incredibly important. You have to do works. And they became entrenched in their beliefs and hardened over here and it became this source of battle and fight among them and it also in some ways exacerbated this tension that we have in christianity is our faith solely an individual venture is it just what we as an individual do and who we are or is there a corporate responsibility is there a communal responsibility to our belief now, Luther, as I said, took a very hard line over here, and that's why he hated the letter of James, because it sort of messes up his argument, right? This whole stretch that I just read in here, particularly where it starts to talk about what is your faith without action? In fact, the, probably the most famous verse in James is, you, it's translated a little bit differently here, but you've probably heard it as, faith without works is dead. And so Luther objected to this letter. 
and said it was a letter of straw and it was not even worth it and even considered dropping it out of the Holy Scriptures. Partly, partly because of this entrenched reality of having to defend that doctrine. Well, you know, as often happens when people become very entrenched and hard lines, time tends to soften things, right? People start to listen to each other a little bit better. And so about 200 years later, past that, that debate, along comes John Wesley, who looks at the Catholic point of view and the Lutheran point of view and says, what, why does it have to be either or? Why can't it be both and? And, and Methodism really is a faith that seeks the middle road. We are, we are the, the median faith in some ways. Um, and we look for that balance. And so Wesley actually loved James and called it the most Methodist of letters. And part of that is because it struck this balance here, that he saw not just a call to action, but also an endorsement of faith in it. And that, we saw that balance last week when Pastor Andrea talked about our understanding of grace. Justification is that individual response to the salvific work of Jesus Christ, that acceptance of what Jesus has done for us, that is that declaration of faith. But past that declaration, we have a responsibility to live that faith out and to grow in love of God and love of neighbor. That's sanctification. And so this letter for Wesley brought that into balance. Yes, faith without works is dead, but faith is necessary. And our works, you have to have both. We have to have the balance. The critique here in James is not a critique of faith. It is a critique of faith that isn't transformative. And Wesley would have the same critique. Yes, of course you need faith. But that faith should be transformative. And Wesley would see it as transformative, not just of yourself, although certainly of yourself, but also of others. He called this holiness of heart and life. So there was both an internal, individual journey that had to be made, as well as an expression of that that was external and part of the community. And, and Wesley saw that the means of grace were how these transformations happened. And he talked about the means of grace in two types. One is works of piety, and the other is works of mercy. So when it comes to works of piety, those are works that are more individual, that are more internal, that do nurture that love of God that each one of us should be growing in. Works of piety for Wesley included prayer, searching the scriptures or studying the scriptures, holy communion, fasting, Christian community, which is a communal expression, but it's an internal one. It's within people that are already believers. And then healthy living. All of those things are disciplines that help us to grow in our faith and our love of God. 
And, and the Wesleys were incredibly disciplined about it. They were very intentional. They, they practiced fasting. They, they studied the scriptures. They, they, they made specific times for prayer. In fact, they were tho- so methodical about it that, that they started, people slandering them would say, you're just Methodist, right? And that's how we got our name, y'all. We're very methodical. <laughs> but then Wesley didn't leave it there. He said, you can't, just, you can't just work on yourself, although you need to work on yourself. You also have to work for the benefit of others. Live that faith out. And those were the works of mercy, which Wesley listed as doing good, visiting the sick and the imprisoned, uh, feeding and clothing people, um, earning, saving, but giving all you can and opposing slavery. Now, that, that last one uh, points out that works of piety tend to be pretty static. That no matter what time or place, all of those things, prayer, reading the scriptures, having communion, um, spending time in Christian community, living healthily, those, those tend to be the same regardless. Works of mercy tend to be contextual. What is the need in front of you? And where does the passion and the gifts that you have correspond with that need? So if we think about these three time frames, we see in James that one of the things that the Christian community was struggling with and one of the things that society was struggling with was that it was highly stratified. The Roman understanding of how you organize the world was incredibly stratified and and you could not necessarily move within the classes. And And yet Christianity talks against that, speaks against that. Jesus, who came and broke down so many barriers, who opened up faith and love and the world to everyone. James is calling us to remember that about our identity and to throw off these divisions that society puts on us, to not separate rich and poor, to to say that we, we live alongside one another, We benefit from that community of being together with one another. We learn about our faith more deeply when we are alongside one another in life. For John Wesley, the world was his parish. So he saw his mission as going to those places where where people who felt disconnected from church or maybe in a still stratified, stratified society felt that they were cast out. So he would go into the coal mines. And preach and minister there. He went to the prisons and preached and ministered there. He also helped start schools. He he did the things that around him were needs. And he gave generously. Um, There's some estimation. Wesley was an enormously popular writer and speaker. He made quite a bit of money. Um, There is speculation that in the course of his lifetime, he made about what would be the equivalent of $5 million today. He died with $2,000, having given away the rest. Because he saw that that was the need that was before him, to give generously like that way. Now, when we look at what works of mercy are before us, what challenges are before us, this week we were given one in Hurricane Ida in the devastation that has happened as a result of that. Now, I went live earlier this week to talk to offer a prayer, and I mentioned that it right now is not a good thing 
for those of us, especially that are untrained, to rush into those places and to try and offer help. It is much better to allow those that are trained to go in. However, the United Methodist Church has many people that are trained to go in to disaster response. In fact, there's a team from Arkansas leaving this week to go and do that. Um, And it's all orchestrated through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, which we call UMCOR. Um, So we can support the work of UMCOR. And for those of you that that are giving, you can go online. You can go online to our website. And when you choose online giving, I think it's the second drop-down option is Hurricane Ida right now. So you can give directly to that. And we will give that money to UMCOR. And one thing to know about UMCOR is that its infrastructure is supported by all of you that put money in the plate every week. That pays for that infrastructure. So when it comes to giving to a particular thing, it 100% of the funds go to the relief that's needed. So if you choose one of that options on our website, you choose Hurricane Ida, we will turn around and cut a check to UMCOR, and UMCOR will turn around and use 100% of that money in the relief effort. And then if you want to get your hands dirty, if you, if you like, I really want to help, then I'll let you know that our mission team is working on putting together a mission trip to Sager Brown, which is the clearinghouse for so much of that disaster response, and it's in Louisiana. And we're looking at doing that in the spring, uh, late, late winter, early spring. So if you're interested in doing that, let me know or let the Duns know, um, and we'll make sure you get plugged into that. And then if you want to look locally, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a heads up that in October we'll be doing an entire sermon series on how we respond to the community of Bentonville. Uh, so we will give you ways to practice your faith, to exhibit those works of mercy. So, here we were. Divided. Is it faith or is it works? I want to share with you in 1999, the Catholic Pontifical Council for Promoting Christian Unity and the Lutheran World Federation met and developed a document called the Joint Declaration on the Doctrine of Justification. And what it basically said was, Oh, we've been fighting for no good reason. (laughs) Of course, faith is the key in our salvation. Belief in Jesus Christ is at the center of everything that we do. But it doesn't stop there. Of course, then, out of that faith, we grow in love of God and of neighbor. And then we do good works. They've quit the fight. It took 500 years, but they've quit the fight. And what I like to say is, um, it was a great day when everybody just decided to finally be Methodist, right? (laughs) But that's really it, y'all. Discipleship is about a life of balance. It's both an internal reality and an external reality. It's an individual journey and a communal journey. It is works of piety in which we grow in love of God, and it is works of mercy, in which we grow in love of neighbor. Both of those are a balanced life of faith. And it's 
And it's a balance we've been called to from the beginning. I mean, Jesus mentions the greatest commandment, right, is to love God and love neighbor. But that comes out of that old tradition that Jesus had been handed down. And since James mentions two of the Ten Commandments, let's talk about the fact that that balance is in the Ten Commandments as well. Many people have pointed out that the first few commandments in the Ten Commandments are about how we love God. The last few commandments in the Ten Commandments are about how we love neighbor. The balance between works of piety and works of mercy was there from the very beginning. And one of my favorite, if I can nerd out for just a minute here, one of my favorite things about the Ten Commandments is that balance is even hidden in the grammar. So in Hebrews, in Hebrew, uh, there is a word for you, an individual, and then there is a word for you, a collective. It's like there's a word for you and there's a word for y'all, right? And I, and I, t- I tell people, I was like, so when it says you shall not murder, um, those commandments were given to the entire community, right? Moses stood before the whole and said, you shall not murder. Would you expect it to be you or would you expect it to be y'all? Y'all, you'd expect it to be y'all, right? But it's not. It is you. Because the reality is each individual has to make that commitment. Each individual has to, has to commit to working on themselves and growing in love of God and growing in love of neighbor or the whole community suffers. So it is in that balance of yes, These works of piety, these works of the individual are important because, yes, the health of the community relies upon it. The truth is, if we're out of balance, if there's too much focus on the individual, then we're not in line with our faith. Or if we tip too far in focus on the community and forget that we need the discipline of ourselves, we will be out of balance as well. It is only when we bring the two perfectly in balance that we become the followers of Jesus Christ. In God's holy name we pray. Amen. Thanks once again for joining us on The Gathering Podcast. Grace and peace, y'all.